wrap up this Christmas season, we remember that Jesus really is the only way to experience peace in this life. And uh, as we wrap up today's uh, sermon series, The Voices of Christmas, we're going to be looking at uh, one of the lesser known voices in the Christmas story. Uh, one that only has about 10 verses of all of the Bible is spoken about uh, this man and what he had to say about Jesus. It's, it's the man Simeon, the priest, a uh, real patient priest, as we'll read today, uh, who had some words of praise and prophecy to share about the child Jesus. And what we know about him is he had waited his whole life uh, to encounter the Messiah, the Savior. And towards the end of his life, he finally held baby Jesus in his hands, and he had this moment of basically saying, what could be greater than this? And now I've experienced Jesus, I've seen him here, I can now go in peace. And when we say that the birth of Jesus changed everything, all right, we really mean that. And this man Simeon is, is one who understood that when Jesus came, not only uh, did it make life different as you experienced it through Jesus, but, but all of eternity and in your relationship with God had changed as well. Simeon was a priest who knew the law of God well. He was a righteous and a devout man of God. And so he, he knew God. He trusted God, and he obeyed God, and he only knew life in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Now, all we've ever known is, is the New Testament life, the New Covenant with God that's, that's, that comes through a relationship with Jesus that's rooted with grace. And so now we see this point of transition between the two, right? Jesus changes everything. And it's a man who's holding Jesus in his hands, and realizes is that all of the relationships between man and God will now change forever. It's a great perspective, and through this series, we've seen these perspectives of all these people, from Isaiah the prophet, thousands of years before Jesus was born. We saw it through Zechariah, through Mary, through Elizabeth, through the angels and the shepherds, and now uh, this story fittingly happens after the birth of Christ. This would be 40 days after he was born. He goes uh, to the temple with his parents and, and encounters this man, Simeon. And we see uh, really how Jesus changes lives forever and that nothing in this world could ever replace him. So before we read the text today, if you're not there already, uh, we're in Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read verses 31 through 35 together. But before we do that, let's just take a moment uh, just to pray and just, just ask God to really speak to us this morning. So Lord, we do thank you for uh, the Christmas story, what we've celebrated for a wonderful service on Friday night, Christmas Eve, and just this beautiful time uh, to share with one another, uh, to sing those songs of joy and, and to really reflect on the story of your birth. But God, this is a part of a much bigger narrative, that the Christmas story itself is amazing, but how it fits into all of your story and what you're continuing to write through us today, uh, God, that's even uh, more astounding. And this man, Simeon, as we're about to read, understood uh, what Jesus was about to do. And so, God, I pray for all of us today that we would be mindful of what you've done for us through your son, Jesus, and for this wonderful uh, time, Christmas season. Uh, God, I just pray that it would be new for all of us today, that we'd be filled with joy. Uh, but, God, I'm also uh, mindful of those uh, who have experienced loss 
uh, in this season especially, uh, currently, uh, maybe in the past, to lose a loved one during this time, it can be extra difficult. And so we pray for all of those who are grieving now in ways that are fresh and ways that are old. Uh, God, give them your comfort today. Uh, may they know your love. God, may you comfort them. May we comfort them with your uh, comfort as well. And so I just pray for them. But God, as we uh, continue and finish up this series today, may you just bring to us a, a fresh perspective of Christmas, this story that truly did change the world forever. God, that we would just give you all the honor and all of the praise in it. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to back it up just a bit before uh, the verses before the story of Sim, uh, Simeon here, starting in verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there's a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There's a lot that we just uh, read through there, a lot to unpack, and we see uh, three distinct parts that we're going to be talking about today, and, and one is we're going to talk about what happened uh, when Jesus was brought to the temple, when he was circumcised, and when he was dedicated to the Lord, there's a lot of foreshadow of what Jesus would be doing and really bridges this, this moment between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But also talking about the song of Simeon and this praise of Jesus, the Savior, and then kind of the humbling note that he ends on about all that Jesus would, would uh, encounter in his life, that there'd be much resistance and sorrow and grief for Mary in this as well. But we see so much of the Christmas story happening in these verses that aren't talked about often at Christmas. And the first is the fulfilling of the ceremonial law. Now stick with me here. 
All right, I know a lot of you are recovering from your holiday celebrations and your overdose of cookies is now metabolizing in your stomach and you're probably tired and we're thinking we're going to talk about the law this morning. All right, I'm going to keep it brief. We're not going to go too deep into it. But it's amazing to see how the Christmas story really fills in with the rest of the Bible. And what we know about the law is that there was a lot to the law. All right, hundreds of uh, areas of regulation of the thou shalt and thou shalt not, and it was split up in different facets of life. So there is the moral law, which really is God's uh, character, and that is uh, universal and is indefinite. That kind of law still applies to us today, things like the Ten Commandments. All right, there's civil law, which really was, uh, they spoke a lot about cultural things, judicial, uh, judicial type things. Uh, that doesn't apply necessarily to us today, but we have a lot of principles we can draw from it. And then there's the ceremonial law, which is kind of like this third branch or classification of the law that was all about what kind of sacrifices you would do and what kind of holidays and, and feasts and all of the things that were really tied to the temple system. And these are the things that we don't need to follow today. Jesus had fulfilled all of that uh, for us. But we see even in the birth of Christ that he was fulfilling this law, that he was one that uh, did not come to abolish the law of God, but to fulfill it and to elevate it to a new level, that he would fulfill all of the law for us. All we have to do is have faith in him. And there's a couple of quick verses I want to point out to help you kind of understand how this uh, works. It was spoken about a lot throughout the, the New Testament, especially by the Apostle uh, Paul, of what Jesus was doing with the law. And now Jesus himself is the one who said that all of the law could be summarized in two overarching ideas, right? Love God, love others. And that's the most simple way to summarize all of the law, right? And if you can do those two things perfectly, you're doing well. But the reality is that nobody could fulfill the law, Nobody ever had. And technically speaking, if you lived a perfect life under the law, you would achieve for yourself salvation. But the law was never meant to bring salvation, as we read in the book of Romans. It was meant to showcase our condemnation. That no matter how hard we try, we're going to fall short of this lofty standard, which is God's holiness. And so the law was meant to point us toward a Savior, one who could do that for us and one who could bring us into perfection. And that's precisely what Jesus did. And so we see in, in Colossians 3 that these laws, now I wrote the brackets there, that's uh, summarizing the verse before, talking about feasts and festivals. These ceremonial laws were really a shadow of all the things that were to come and that the reality is found in Jesus, that he is what the law was pointing toward. And in Galatians 4, this is actually talking about the Christmas story. That when the time had fully come, when God sent his son to be born of a woman, right, that's the Christmas story, that he was born under law. Meaning he was bound to the law, he fulfilled the law, Jesus did, to redeem those under the law. So he saved us from our shortcomings, he redeemed us by keeping the law that we might receive the full rights of sons, or that we might receive the uh, inheritance of children of God, which is eternal life. All right, so this is where if you view the Christmas story as its own little story, you, you kind of miss the bigger picture of what's happening. 
That the whole story of God, the Old and the New Testaments together, and everything in between is this amazing story that's all completed in the person of Jesus. And even as a child, eight days after he's born, 40 days after the born, he, he, he's, after he's born, there's these parts of the law that's being fulfilled in the Christmas story that brings us now to this redemption and this completion. And there's three parts we're going to just take a look at very, very quickly here. All right? And the first is that he was circumcised and named on the eighth day. And this is part of the law that went all the way back to the book of Genesis with Abraham. When God told Abraham that I, I have a promise for you, there's a covenant between you and me and all of your offspring, that you will be my people, that you'll be set apart. And, and one of the marks they, that, that God chose for them is they'd be circumcised, that all males would be circumcised on the eighth day. And this signified a few things. And first is that, that they were chosen and set apart, that they were made special for God's purposes, and, and that the circumcision uh, was to, uh, to, to showcase this cutting away of the flesh or their own sinfulness, that they would be people that would follow God in a way of faith and obedience. And so this is important for a few reasons uh, with, with Jesus. One, showing that he was fully human, right? He did all of the human things that we would do, that he was marked and set apart as, as part of God's chosen people, that the people of Israel, the Messiah, would come forth. Now, he is one of them. But it's also a foreshadow of the sacrifice that was to come in Jesus, that now a small part of his flesh was taken away, but one day he would be giving all of himself as a sacrifice the greatest sacrifice, that it wasn't now this, this one mark that would, would mark the, the, the old promise of God, but now a sacrifice that would mark a new and perfect promise of God that he fulfills through all of us. What we read in the New Testament is that the circumcision of the flesh had some value, but what really matters is the circumcision of the heart. And it means that the outward appearances could matter a little, but what's happening on the inside is what really matters. And so Jesus took upon himself the circumcision of the flesh, that one day he'd be the one that could circumcise our heart. He could change us from the inside. And now that becomes our mark as God's people, that he changes us completely, that through Jesus we can be made new, not just in our flesh, but in our character. It's this foreshadow of what's coming. And then in verse 22, uh, there's actually two things that are highlighted here. That when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And so one of the things is that mothers went through a purification process on the 40th day after birth. And what we read is that as they're going to Jerusalem to do that, they also brought Jesus along to present him in the temple. That he was presented to the Lord and redeemed as a firstborn son. That all firstborn sons were to be consecrated or dedicated to the Lord. And this is going all the way back to the book of Exodus is where that started. That they remember that when the Israelites were freed from Egypt, that there was a great price that was paid in the final plague. 
that all the firstborn sons were killed. But they were spared by putting the uh, blood of a lamb on the doorpost of their house. And it's this reminder for them that, that they were spared the death of their firstborn. So from then on out, they would uh, de- devote or dedicate their firstborn sons to the Lord. And it's much like our child dedications today, where you present them to God and say, may this child be for your purposes and for your glory. But then another part of that is there's a price they paid of redemption, of, of five shekels of silver, or 20 pieces of silver. About $1,000, maybe $1,500 in, in our currency today. So it was no small sum, but it wasn't some life-changing uh, expense for a lot of people. But they would pay this redemption price as a sign of thanksgiving to God and devotion to God and, and a recognition of the gift that they've been given. And I believe this is the foreshadow to show the great price that Jesus would pay for all of us, for, for our eternal freedom. That there's now a new Passover in which the blood of a new lamb spares us all from the death we deserve. That Jesus would pay the ultimate price for us greater than anything we could muster to pay the price for our eternal redemption. And the third thing we see is this purification uh, right for Mary. I'm taking a lot longer on this than I thought I would. This is just so interesting to me, and this could have been, could have been a sermon all in itself, but, so I hope you're sticking with me here, but the, this last part, all right, is Mary going to the temple to be purified, to be cleansed. And this doesn't mean that Mary had sinned by having a child, okay? So being unclean didn't always mean you were sinful, but there was some rules and understanding what was clean and what was unclean in this time. Blood is one of the things that was unclean. And any time you touched blood or bled for any reason, you had to go to the temple to be cleansed. So here she went to the temple for this. It would always happen 33 days after the circumcision or 40 days after the birth. And you had to go with, with an offering. And there's something interesting that happens here in this story of uh, Mary and Joseph. And it showcases truly how poor and humble they were as people. That any normal person uh, who was going through this ceremony that Mary was would have to bring a lamb and a dove or a pigeon. And what we read here is there's a, there's a condition that was written into the law for people who are poor that they could bring then two birds, you know, two pigeons or two doves or one of each. And that you then sacrifice one of those as your sin offering. The lamb was to be the one that was the sin offering in this. They couldn't afford a lamb. And so they went with two birds. And I think it shows truly the humble conditions that God chose to send his son in. That not only was he born in the cattle stall, far away from home, with really no pomp or circumstance, But then he lived a humble life with poor, hardworking parents that Jesus grew up uh, and and he learned to work with his hands, that he went into this prolific ministry, but he never did any of this to serve himself, but to be of service to others, to ultimately lay down his life. And we read that even throughout his ministry, he he said at one point that foxes have holes and, and that there's... Uh, no place for him to lay his head. He didn't even have a home or a bed. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But I think what we're seeing in this moment is this foreshadow 
that Mary and Joseph were too poor to bring a lamb to be an offering for their sin. But in the most poetic of ways, who they had in their arms was the great lamb that nobody could ever pay for or deserve, that would go on to be the ultimate sacrifice, to not just cover up our sins, but to remove our sins once and forever. Jesus was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. There's never a replacement for him. And this is where it's, it's important to understand this because Simeon is a priest who knew the law in and out. His whole job was to be intercessor before uh, man and God to help regulate the laws and these, these sacrifices and these ceremonies. So he knows what's happening here and he knows exactly who this child Jesus is. And I believe he knows exactly what's changing. And we read in the book of Hebrews on the other side of this that there's this system of, of temple worship and sacrifices where day after day the priests would have these sacrifices over and over again that, that ultimately could cover sin for a moment but never take it away. But Jesus would be the one who is the great high priest and the great and spotless lamb whose sacrifice would be perfect forever to take away the sins of the world. I think it just shows our spiritual bankruptcy, like, like Mary and Joseph, that we could never afford the sacrifice needed to take away our sins. We could never replace Jesus. Only he could do that for us. So even before we encounter Simeon, which we're going to talk about his words in a moment, we get this idea of, of who Jesus is why he would be important, why he had changed everything forever. He came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it for us and to be a foreshadow here of the new covenant that would come in his name. So we understand that context and the perspective of Simeon. We can really appreciate the words he's about to share. He shares this song of praise in verses 29 through 32. And first, about Simeon, again, we don't know much about him. We know that he was righteous and devout. We know that he was a priest who wanted nothing more than to see the consolation of Israel. What that means, he wanted to see the Messiah come in his life and set his people right with the Lord. And the Holy Spirit was on him and told him, you will see the Messiah before you die. And we often think and assume that Simeon is old. He, he probably was, but we don't know that for sure. Tradition says he was very old. Some, the Jews believed he was 113 years old. I don't know where they got that number from. But this idea that he's this patient man who believed the promises of God, that the Holy Spirit told him he would see the Messiah before he died. And now he's led into the temple courts and he kind of intercepts this family, Mary and Joseph, with this young child, there's probably dozens of other families there that day to do, to do the same things that they were. But he's there. The Holy Spirit led him there. And he took the baby Jesus in his arms. And he praised God with this song. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory 
of your people, Israel. And the first part we see of this song is that he felt the sense of peace and fullness or completeness after embracing baby Jesus in his arms. He knew exactly who Jesus was, what he came to do, and how he was going to change the world forever. And we read that he's now a servant who could be dismissed in peace. It's not peace in like the relaxed sense, right? And if you hold a baby, you know they're kind of like a sleeping pill, right? That's not what he's talking about is I feel relaxed now, but I feel at peace, that there's nothing left to do in this life, that everything I've ever needed is right here in my arms. Jesus, the Savior of the world. And to say you can dismiss me in peace is basically saying, Lord, you can take me now. I can now die in peace. And we see the overarching theme of this song is that God is one who keeps his promises. And that all peace and joy and completeness comes through believing him and resting in him. Now that Simeon has seen God's salvation in Jesus, he's ready to die. He's content with life and there's nothing left to work for or strive for. I think if you know Jesus as Lord, you understand this. The peace that Jesus brings, the peace that passes all understanding is only possible in him. Like the silly video we watched, we can try as hard as we may to replace Jesus with many different things in this life, but the peace you may experience through that never lasts. Only Jesus brings you everlasting peace, as it did for the man Simeon. It brings you to this place of contentment, that when you realize, when I have Jesus, I have enough. There's nothing else in this life that could make me feel more full and content than to know Jesus and embrace him as Lord. That completion, that contentment was rooted in this man Simeon by knowing who God was and what he had promised. He knew God. And that's why he can make this statement that he proclaimed Jesus as the salvation of all people, right? Of all the world, that Jesus came to be a savior for all. And that was a kind of a a controversial idea as we read throughout the New Testament, especially through the book of Acts and many of Paul's epistles, is many believe the Messiah would only come for the Jews, Right, Because they're the people of the law. They're the people who God had entrusted with everything and everyone else just had no hope. And Simeon is saying, no, Jesus is for the whole world because he knew God and he knew his promises. And really a lot of uh, verses 30 and 31 are, are directly taken from Psalm 98. And this is another example of if, he, if you know Your Bible, if you know the Word of God, then you know God. And you can understand what really brings you peace and promise. And that's such an important part of contentment, is really knowing God. And I think there's there's some people who 
uh, they go to church their whole lives. They do all of the, the things on the right side of the list, and they, 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 they do their best, right? But they're never content because they never know God. Simeon is one who understood all the promises of God, the the content and the character of who he was. And so when he saw Jesus, he understood exactly what he was going to do, that Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. And as we'll read later, there's many who had the wrong idea of who Jesus was and what he came to do, and so they felt ultimately discontented in him, and they rejected Jesus and that's for all of us, really. If you want to be content with God, then you have to know him. And you know him by reading his word. If you don't do that, you're always going to have the wrong ideas of who he is, and you'll never experience the peace that only he can bring. Know God, see God, and be content in him. That he is the salvation of all people. The last part, just real quick, is this idea of him being the the light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of his people Israel, that Jesus really is the light in the darkness that shines this uh, way toward truth, that he reveals truth in your life, and you see the way to salvation through Jesus. That doesn't come through uh, perfectly... Uh, understanding and following the law. It doesn't come through any personal pursuit. It comes through seeing Jesus and believing in his truth. That he would be the light of the world as he was promised to be for both Jew and Gentile alike. When you know Jesus, you know the truth. And that truth will set you free. It's this amazing moment for Mary and Joseph once again. And we saw uh, in, the, in the angels, as they came to the shepherds, the shepherds came to Mary and Joseph, and, and Mary pondered and treasured those words that the shepherds spoke. And once again, in uh, verse 33, we see that the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And it's this reassurance of God's promises in their life. But then he doesn't stop there. Uh, there's kind of a, a humbling note that he ends on, which again shows the whole life of Jesus and what he came to do. That after they had marveled in that, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. It's kind of a, a quick switch in the atmosphere, right? But it also goes to show what Jesus came to do, which is to pay the ultimate price, and that the life of Jesus would be amazing, right? full of, of miracles and great teachings that we still study today, that he would go Ultimately, though, to hang on the cross as a sacrifice. We know that he rose from the dead and it all ended well. But that's something many people in the life of Jesus lived through, including Mary, his mother. And that would cause great grief for her own soul. But we see that through all this, despite Jesus being who he is, he he was very controversial 
among his people, and he remains to be controversial today, that he causes the rising and the falling of many in Israel, and, and in the same way around the world today, that people will speak against him and that he would reveal the hearts of people. You know, we live in a culture, uh, they call it the Christmas Wars, right? People are trying to cancel Christ and take Jesus out of Christmas, and that's certainly true. I mean, there's a secularization of Christmas for sure. But let's not be mistaken here. It's not the war against Christmas. It's the war against Christ. And Jesus himself said that if the world has hated me, he will hate my disciples also. That there's always going to be a conflict in this world because people don't know God. They're looking for peace in anything but God. And if they're trying to take Jesus out of Christmas, they're probably trying to take Jesus out of every part of their life. And that's what reveals their own heart, is their attitude towards God. And reading this reminded me of a, um, a story young in my Christian walk, right, as a high schooler, a junior senior in high school, I can't remember. I was working at the grocery store in town, and I'm sitting there bagging groceries, and I remember I had uh, just a, a necklace with a cross on it, right? And there's this uh, woman, maybe late 20s, early 30s, I believe it was around Christmas time, came up to me and said, you know, that symbol is really offensive to a lot of people, including myself. I'd appreciate it if you just took that off or put that in your shirt. And I'm just like, Merry Christmas to you. You know, I'd, I don't know how to respond to that. And it just really kind of hit me. That's the first kind of controversy I'd ever experienced as a believer. Now, let's be honest, if that's the height of the persecution in my life, I think you know, we're doing okay. There's a lot of Christians around the world who, who really do have to do it in secret under fear of death. But throughout the history of the world and throughout the world today, there's many who will be offended by the person of Jesus, that he will cause the rising and the falling of many, that just the presence of Jesus will reveal people's heart. It's really their heart towards God himself. And if they trust in him or, or they don't, you know, I, I think about that, uh, just, just now I was thinking about that moment and kind of had just have a prayer for that person. And I know that people who, who, have, who have rejected uh, Jesus wholesale in their life, like the Apostle Paul, come around and be very influential and important. And I think it just goes to show, though, the hope we have in Jesus, that he could take a heart of stone and make it back into the heart of flesh. But it came through a great price, as we see that all of this rejection and suffering that Jesus would encounter in his life would cause great grief even to the Mother Mary. And I know for parents here, it's hard to see uh, your child suffer. And so it just kind of gives some explanation of what's happening to Mary here, seeing her perfect and faultless son suffer on the cross for a death he didn't deserve. And something that grieved her greatly, and I think still continues to grieve many today as we consider that. But that's the important part of the Christmas story. It's not just that Jesus came or how he came, but why he came. What makes this all so magnificent and worthy of praise is that Jesus came with great purpose and reason. He came to be the sacrifice for all, the ultimate sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. And because of that, 
That's why we celebrate Christmas. Why it changed everything forever. Why he's worthy of all praise and adoration. And I pray that we have the same attitude, the heart attitude of Simeon, that if you have Jesus, you have everything you need. And you can experience peace, not just now in this life, but peace forever. And we're going to have uh, the team come up. We're going to sing a few more songs together. I kind of look at this as uh, when you are about to go on a diet, you know, you get all the fill of the things you can't have for a while. We're not going to be singing Christmas songs for another year, so we're going to leave you with your fill of Christmas songs. But life really is kind of a, a journey, isn't it? All of us are on this journey, always searching, always striving for the, the next thing that we hope will bring us to a place of peace and contentment and fulfillment. And there's many times we feel like we've found the thing we need. But if it's not Jesus, it's always going to fail you in some way. It's only temporary. We may try to replace Jesus in our lives, but it will never last. Find your peace and your contentment only in him. Let's stand together. I'm going to close this out in prayer before we sing. So Lord, we thank you uh, just for this beautiful story, the one we don't read often, but it's just full of great significance and value as we understand how Jesus truly did change everything. And Lord, we, for those of us who know you and we trust in you, we've experienced that peace in our lives in many different ways. But God, I pray that we all would really embrace you this year and beyond as, as our true Savior and the only way to peace, that we truly would adore you and give you all the glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.